Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and this is my cast. Hi everyone, my name is C, I use they them pronouns, and I play Oka Hien, Asamar blood hunter and monster hunting expert. I'm Erica, and I play V Noct Shurzo, your lovable elf sorcerer slash charlatan with draconic ancestry. My name is Lyra, and I use they she pronouns. I play Manaya Wairua, a half orc fighter with a sailing background. I'm Max, my pronouns are they them, and I play Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra artificer and researcher on the run from his former employers at the Ohanahi Research Laboratory. You can support Transplaner RPG by pledging to our Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res assets, and much, much more. You can also support us by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps immensely with getting new listeners to find us. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, trauma, death of loved ones, and descriptions of food. Arc 4, Episode 10 a Creature Dead in Soul From Anna Karenina by Larissa Schmilo There is a spy in the palace, and their name is Idvala. They're a changeling, which makes them hard to pin down. Their favored form is that of a blue-skinned half-orc servant with gold hair, they can maneuver around the palace without being spied upon in such a form. They're adept with magic, I think. Uh, they can teleport short distances. They can make you forget certain memories if they... if they kiss you. They're... hard to read. I... I don't exactly know what makes them tick. Honestly, I think they just do whatever's interesting to them at the moment. They're... experienced. This isn't their first time spying for someone with dubious motives. Idvala isn't working alone. Of that I'm certain. There are two others. The assassin themselves, which you encountered, and the assassin's handler. The person in charge of all of this. I don't know who either of those people are, what they want, why they're doing this, I, I swear. Okay, I've never met either of them, the assassin or the handler. My job was simple, let Idvala into the palace in the first place, which I've already done. They told me I'd be rewarded when the deed was taken out. 
That's all I know. Idvala knows more. Uh, everything, I think. Who the assassin is, who the handler is, what they want, who they work for, if they work for anyone else. If you want to catch them, I think your best chance will be in three days. Idvala and I were supposed to meet in my garden, out back by my courtyard. A routine status update. You can lay a trap for them there. Oka, Manaya, Dewey, V, and Rev. Mu Piao's words ring in your heads as you exit the royal library. After many determined minutes of interrogating the fifth spouse, that was what you got out of them. They had no other information to share, no other secrets to hide as Oka's blood promise ensured. And now, as all of you stalk over a wooden bridge, the water of a royal stream glimmering under lantern light, tell me, what do the four of you do? Oka's marching kind of aggressively ahead, I think. Uh, and they'll like pause and then like double back, I think, like back to where the group is. And then they'll kind of like march ahead again, um, like almost like pacing, but they're s still moving like just a little bit back and forth. And they're kind of just mumbling to themselves and going incredibly silent whenever some we cross paths with anyone else. But they'll just be like, okay, okay, garden, the spy. You know, just, just going on a little bit like that. What do the rest of us pick up on of Oka's ramblings when they come back to us and then leave again and come back? Uh, they're, they come around one time and they're like, we can't kill them, we can't kill them, and, but it's putting them in the jail. Where, and then like, they're gone again. And <laughs> and there's another time that they're like, I don't, I don't understand why in the garden, how could we do it quietly? We have to do it quietly. And then they're gone again, you know, it's like, or we could do it loudly. We could just be, we could just go all out. We could just, just take it out now. And then they're gone again. <laughs> I think while Oka is doing that, V is actually kind of talking to Rev. During that whole conversation with Mu Piao, uh, V was obviously paying attention, but was even more trying to study every detail of Mu Piao uh, physically in case she decides to do disguise self. She's looking for every, she was looking at every, so she's like kind of mumbling over to, there's, so there's this Oka mumbling, there's this V mumbling to Rev being like, okay, well she had this, you know, this, this ornate jewelry here. She had the, you know, little marking on her face there. Like every little detail, V's just going over in her head over and over again to like set in her mind if she has to disguise herself as Mu Piao. Manaya, Dewey? I think that Dewey is, normally would be trying to like pay attention to all the little threads that are floating off in his party. Um, but he's a little bit preoccupied. He's not so concerned with this random consort, like this random consort, the traitorous spouse. Yeah, who okay, let... but like let let this assassin in. Mupio is not like the focus of our investigation currently. But yeah, he's sort of just like I think Dewey's also mumbling to himself. It seems like nonsense because he's talking about the vessel, and then no. The extraction from would have to be from no I can't do this on myself. Yeah, okay. Rev has had enough. Rev Rev stops like at the end of the bridge and like blocks off the bridge from the rest of you with her huge body. She goes, enough muttering. All of you. Manaya was uh lost in thought, just kind of staring off into the the darkening sky as if tracing constellations that aren't there. 
And in her periphery, she was using Rev as sort of a like, okay, I'm going to subconsciously follow this person. Like when you're trying to look around in the state fair, but you've got your parent like in your vision. And then suddenly you like lose them where they stop and you just bump right into them. And I think that's what Manaya does. Oh, sorry. What? What's the plan? We have three different people muttering, V, you're talking about jewelry. Dewey, you're talking about vessels. Oka, you're talking about a garden. Can we please talk to each other? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, here? On the bridge? No, not here. Let's, let's just make it back, okay? I'll stop with the muttering. No, Dewey, maybe you should continue muttering. I'm quite interested. This is ridiculous. Come on. And Rev sort of sweeps her, like, raven-patterned, like, cloak, right? And as, like, as the feathers, like, float across the street, like, the screen, we, like, pan to the guest quarters, I think, of, like, all of us sat down, like, in private, like, around this, like, low tea table. Like, Rev sits down with, like, a flutter of, like, raven feathers, crosses her big muscular arms over her even more muscular pectoral region, and, like, settles, like, her mismatched gold and black gaze over the party. Okay. Oka, what is it? I'm thinking about the trap, because the spy can't be free to just walk around here, right? They can't just be walking around doing whatever it is they want. They know more. Idvala. What does that mean? Does it mean anything? Does it mean anything? Yeah. Uh, why don't you roll? <laughs> uh, why don't you roll like history or like intelligence to see if it, it does mean anything? What'd you get? A full seven, but it was a one. That one. Uh, yeah, Idvala, that, it's a name, uh, seems maybe Talmadi in origin, uh, but other than that, you can't really get anything else out of it. Oka pauses, like, grasping for the threads, and they go, this just, we need to talk to them, we need to question them, but what do we do when we're done questioning them? I could reap their soul. It would render their body inert, but their soul would be in grim. You can do that? Usually I only do it when the person dies uh, or is dead, but I can talk to the Raven Queen. Maybe she'll render us the service. I don't know, okay? I'm spitballing here. I don't know if reaping their soul would kill them. Which, I mean, they're working for the Paragon Killer. If there's anyone we'd want to think about potentially, I mean ridding the now of this person might be one of them no no we shouldn't kill them that wouldn't sit right with me does your scythe just like hang on to the soul like after you kill someone it's like one of those uh i hate to make the comparison but the empty beasts you know how they all have a soul sack inside their bodies grim is like that but less gross and a lot cooler I reap the souls of those who have recently passed so their souls don't just disappear into nothingness now that we're disconnected from the after. It's a little pocket dimension, a holding space. But it works on living, currently living people? I've never done that before. Uh, it's not supposed to, which is why I said I could maybe parley with the Raven Queen, see if she could make an exception, but I don't know if that's how her powers work. I could also, you know, I've been sort of Getting more in tune with Gamble, uh, I could also take the luck of a card. Maybe I can do something. Are you saying that you want this entire plan to hinge on a card pull, V? Is that what you're telling me right now? I've done it before. Why wouldn't I do it again? This is how I work. Risk and reward. 
I really liked you better when you didn't believe in the gods, actually, I think. Me too. Me too. Uh, Go on, Revs. I'm not biased in any mean, but we are doing a service by capturing the soul and not just letting it snap into nothingness. That's, to me, a kindness compared to the alternatives right now in this world. Would there be a way to put the soul back? I don't want to just leave them maniac trails off. Uh, I've never done it before. I don't know. I wouldn't know how. Dewey, you're whole! What? My what? You're whole, Dewey. What? You're whole. What hole? Oh, the, that the, hole. That, that hole. Oh. <laughs> I'm terrified. What are we talking about? My hole. Uh, the... the... <laughs> It's also pocket. We could put them in there. Their entire For self. How long? You could as long as we need to. You think until I can the danger just, like, is past. Hide bodies in there? Why not? Can't you? You're always hiding in there. Why couldn't you hide someone else in there? Is there enough air even? Yeah, it's magic. Magical things have limitations too. Well, you're a scientist, figure it out. Come on, Cardu, with three days you'd think you couldn't make a cool invention like that keep someone in there for a little bit longer. You already use it like three times a day when you get scared of your own shadow. Okay, first of all, you weren't supposed to see that. Second of all, this is not a good point to hide the body in my- Hold on, wait, wait, I, I have a clarification point. Are we talking about putting a dead body in whole while Rev holds on to soul? Or are we just hiding him as a whole person in there? Just keep them in there like, like, like a holding cell, but that's us. So they can't trick us. You want me to be in charge of security for this. You have chosen the wrong person. Doesn't it come with rope? We just tie them up. This spell does have a duration of one hour. Come on, Dewey. You think you couldn't tinker with it? Tinker with the spell? I have to increase its uh, duration by so much. We have the entire resource of uh, the entirety of the slumbering palace at your disposal here, Cardu. And you're a freaking paragon. Come on. If we gave up the spy to the Emperor, Oka, you know as well as anyone that the Emperor would have them beheaded. And we're trying to avoid that, right? Besides, they might be useful to us if they're still alive and if we could talk to them again and again. And they wouldn't be able to trick the guards in the palace if we could hold on to them, hold on to them here with us, then we'd be guaranteed. Didn't Mu Piao say they could jump? What's to stop them from jumping out? You can't jump into... Well, I don't think you can jump into and out of interdimensional places unless you can. But if they're just casting transportation spells, then I don't think it works that way. Based on what Mu Piao said, it sounds like they have access to a Misty Step spell. I don't think it's anything like V's Dimension Door or anything that will allow them to open a gate into another plane, right? Such interplanar magic, transplanar magic, one might say, has been inaccessible ever since the Cataclysm. There's no way to contact the after or the beyond. You know, the idea of keeping their body and soul separate for at least a time doesn't sound that bad in this scenario. V's still like stuck on that point. Uh, V, if we have a holding vestibule of Dewey's creation to put them body, soul, and mind, I don't know if I have to reap them unless you specifically want me to try to reap them. Let's keep those body and soul together, please. Agreed. And Oka's right. We can question them whenever we want. And Dewey, you can seal up that hole, right? You just have to figure out a way to extend the duration. Seems like a pretty waterproof plan to me. Fine. I'll 
spend the next three days reinforcing this metal hole. We might have to import a few thousand batteries from Uhanahi, but... The hell is a battery? I don't know what that is. Must be an Uhanahi thing, I, I don't know. They're kind of big and cl clunky. Uh, um, I guess Dewey's might be smaller, though. I don't want to think about Dewey's holes or batteries any longer. This is the plan. Are we on the same page? No, I kind of want to hear about the batteries, actually. It's it's nothing. We use them to power toasters back home. That That's it. Yeah, I'll certainly need some help powering this thing for multiple days, I guess. Lianga might be able to help. That's a fair call. I know it's important to figure out what we're going to do with said spy, but also I'm a little concerned about not only getting them here, but then holding on to them if they can teleport out of there. Is there a way to confine an area that they won't be able to get out of while we're doing this? A non-magic field or something. That's beyond my magic. Do I know anyone whose magic in the palace might be able to help us with that? You do. Uh, v has gambled with her. The second wife, Queen Guo. Queen Guo is a spirit seeker. If you're on such good terms with her, V, she might be able to help us. Especially if you told her everything. I mean, I told her a number of things. Everything. Right. Okay, everything. And if she made you do that, that means she had a, a field of truth, right? That would be the perfect interrogation chamber. Would be a good interrogation chamber, that's correct, but that's an... That's a completely different place. I mean, unless the spy had the reason to go there. She's... Her limitations are not just confined to a room. She is an incredible magic user. All of the three queens are. Plus, with Dewey's little rope trick, we could conceivably take them anywhere we want. That's true. We could just find them in Mu Piao's garden, knock them out, toss them up in Dewey's hole, shake them out in front of the queen. All I need is just a little bit of blood on them. Any tiny little bit, I'll be able to connect to them. Even if they slip away, I'll be able to track them down. Okay. Then it sounds like a plan. V, we've got three days. You think you can convince Queen Guo to help us? If I can do anything, I think I can do that. Okay. And Dewey, think you can reinforce that hole? I wish you wouldn't say it like that. How else yes. do you want me to say it? Okay, fine. Good. One last thing. A tool at my disposal, thanks to the princess. If I can land even the smallest hit with the smallest blade or needle, I can render them relatively immobile while we set everything up. It like it puts a like a, a shield of air around them, and if they try to break it, it sort of explodes. Explodes. Not as big as you think it does. It's it's like a. It compresses the air around them into like a bubble, and when they move, the bubble pops and all the compressed air goes into them. Like getting hit with a, well, the blunt side of my axe. You could just hit them with the blunt side of your axe and knock them out that way. I don't want to hurt them too badly. No, no, I'm, I kind of want to see the air th thing, though. But this will have to be fast, quick, quiet as possible. Right, why don't you practice this during the three days that we have? before we confront this spy. Well, Rev, you're the most resilient one out of all of us. Mine being my training dummy. <sighs> okay, fine. I'll be your training dummy. <laughs> Trust me. I'll let you get me back sometime. Oh, don't worry. I will. Want to arm wrestle? Later. Okay. 
Uh, I think on that we could cut to a montage of the next three days passing. Um, let's start with let's start with Dewey. Okay, Dewey. Let's say the the first task you have on your plate of various other tasks I think you'd like to complete is to figure out a way to reinforce your hole. So <laughs> why don't you tell me how you're trying to go about doing this? So my rope trick uh, is a metal ring. Um... Like I've stated before, um, I think that what Dewey's doing is creating like an aperture inside of it. So like there are metal, um, like a number of metal, not blades, but like they can open and close. Um, so it's more secure than just like an open door with a rope in it. And he's just been practicing putting stuff inside, I think. Uh, he'll be like, whoever's like in the living room at the moment, he like comes out and he's like, hey. And he just like puts it over their, <laughs> their body. And it's like, eh. <laughs> yeah. And then he like goes back in his room. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it seems like the two main hurdles to reinforcing your rope trick is one, getting the materials to make it like a more solid door that can close. And two, like somehow finding a way to extend the duration of it, right? Beyond just an hour without you having to continuously recast the spell, which might wear on you. Uh, so for the first part of reinforcing, I just want you to make like a either investigation check or like some sort of charisma persuasion check depending on how you want to go about collecting scrap materials and like getting like the raw materials you need to reinforce this door and also power the door to become more magically tenable i will roll investigation okay um i'm using a flash of genius but that's only a 13 <laughs> a 13 i'll say it takes you until like probably the end of the third day with a 13 but you're still able to do it i think it's liangya like oka mentioned who helps you out uh who like gets you into like the i think like the workshop chambers of the slumbering palace where they have artificers working on all sorts of like in incredible inventions and like there's like a scene where we see like liangya leading you like through this like like dark hall like with like these like glass windows on either side where you can see sort of scientists like like welding things right you can sort of see like like smoke coming out of like vials of like bubbling glowing liquid i think it flashes you back a little bit to the url just a little bit right uh, as you see these scientists working on their various inventions until liangya leads you to like a door at the end of the hall she opens up and you see just a, a treasury of like raw materials for you to pick from and liangya hands you her like artificer's card right for you to like rent out and like buy materials with like the points she's earned by like doing tasks around this like it's like its whole ecosystem that we ha literally haven't even discovered yet it's got like a quest board on the side like like this own mini series is happening here that we're not a part of um and dewey you like grab the materials you need and it takes you some trial and error but you're able to find like a strong enough reinforced magical steel that can like open and close like the aperture on a camera lens um at will you can basically control it um and i think like your experiment is successful when you get mania into the hole and like she can't break out <laughs> like for a brute force right while dewey's in this um trove this materials room He's also, he's going to take out more materials than he needs, including, if he can find it, some Electrum, because he's been uh, oh. <laughs> supposed to get his hands on some of that. Electrum is technically a currency that is worth a lot of money. So I think you see, like, in the Trove, there's, all, like, a circulation desk, like, in front of the Trove for people to, like, swap materials in and out. And you know that any Electrum would be, like, behind the circulation desk inside, essentially, the cash register, right? Like, this place looks like an archive, right? With, like, tons of little shelves and boxes. Almost like a, uh, an old-timey apothecary, where you can, like, open up a shelf and, like, grab materials and close the shelf, etc. I mean, this is as good an of ex as good of an excuse as I'm ever gonna get to 
poke around for materials, saving saving the emperor's life. Not that I'm gonna say that out loud, but like, can I have a go at that? Uh, the person sitting there, be like, I'm on special assignment for the emperor. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's do like a quick scene. You see a let's see, you see a half orc. A person sort of like reading a scroll, right? Like just sort of like legs propped up on the counter as you approach. Hey, uh, you got your got your artificer's card? If you want to check things out, you've been around here for the past couple of days. How can I help you? I'm looking for this. Oh, this project I'm working on is it's so dastardly complex. Um, I'm thinking. I know it's rare, but I'm thinking maybe some electrum will do the trick for the. Uh, containment aspect. Electrum? Yeah. <laughs> you're not the first person to roll up here pretending you need some Electrum for a project, but really you're just trying to make some extra little money on the side. Electrum's gonna cost you some gold. Five to one ratio, my friend. I'm just here on assignment. I assignment like Assignment from the Emperor himself. Ha! Huh, very likely. You have a writ for that? Do I have a writ for that? I don't know if you do. <laughs> do Probably we? Not. No, this is, this is super informal. Like, yeah. Uh, under the table stuff. Do I, I still have my badge from the URL, right? You do. That would lend me some street cred. I feel like within the <gasps> artificer community. Oh my god! Do you flash your URL badge at this person? I'm like, uh, sorry, I haven't. Did, I never really introduced myself today. Uh, I'm Cardi Quirk. I I'm on assignment in the URL for the money. The so. The URL. And this half-orc's eyes, like, boggle out of their skull when they see you, like, flash your URL badge. What? Oh, my. And you see, I think we see the logo of the URL for the first time, right, on, on our show, which looks like a series of interlocking gears, right? Um, but the center of each gear has, like, a smaller, like, dot, right? And Dewey... I think maybe this is the first time you've pulled out your URL badge in a long time as well. And as the guy like like puts their feet down, immediately starts scrambling around for Electrum for you. Maybe you lower the badge and you look at it. It strikes you uh, just how much the centers of the gears look like eyes. How much do they look like the eyes from the ship that we... There are similarities. <laughs> Let's say there are similarities. Well, well here you go. How, how much Electrum do you need? I, this is the whole drawer full that I got here. Here, 70 Electrum? Is, is that enough? Yeah, I think so. Um, don't worry, I will bring back whatever I do not use. Yeah, of course. I mean, if it's for the... You know, I, I I tried applying there myself once a couple years back, but I never heard back from them. Do you think you could uh, get my resume in under your your, your president's nose? Uh, this is a pretty cushy gig right here. Uh, I know, the, it's The nice, benefits of but... the URL are terrible. What? But I hear nothing but good things about their dental. It's true, it's good if you want dental work, but um, the rest are kind of, you know, nothing to... Uh, you should, I think you should work your way up here. I think you've got a really good shot. Oh. It's okay, I know when I'm being let down easy. You don't see potential in me either at the URL, that's fine. I'm just it's not okay. in a place to make referrals, sorry. <laughs> I appreciate all your help. You're welcome. I hope the Electrum's co coming in handy with your project. Hey, hey, I'm, I'm here to help out if you need any more help. Name's Pow. Thank you, Pow. Good luck on your project. Thank you so much. And he like shoves it under his uh, under his coat and like hurries out. So Electrum uh, are coins as well. That's how they're minted in too long. But instead of like fat gold coins or fat silver or bronze nuggets, uh, Electrum is translucent. 
It's a translucent material, almost like a diamond. And shot through, you can sort of see these like iridescent veins that like glow faintly when you put them up to light. It's like a very rare material. And you sort of like have 70 pieces of these like in just a little sack that you strapped to your waist and you, you hot on out of there. Who's the great heist, heist conductor now? How dare you come for my title? And I think you're also able to find enough materials to like power uh, your rope trick for much longer. Basically for like as long as you need. Let's say, let's say like the raw material that it takes is probably the electrum. So if you like burn enough electrum, uh, you can keep you can keep the rope trick going without you having to recast it all the time. I don't want to show up back here with like two electrum left. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try and find other methods of powering that don't inc- involve burning through electrum, like okay. at a rate of twenty per day. Not twenty per day. It's more like a one to one ratio. So you could keep the rope trick going for at least seventy days. Okay, I think that's fine. Okay, sounds good. So you saddle on out of the vault. Pockets full of electrum, tons of scrolls and like other material components strapped to your body. And on you leaving this vault, we're going to cut to V. The aforementioned heist master who's getting their seat uh, usurped by Dewey. V, tell me, how are you trying to win Queen Ghoul's favor? Am I, am I allowed to just go back into her original gambling parlor? I don't have to like... You don't have to gamble your way back up again? Is that what you're right. asking? <laughs> well, like, you know, security isn't going to be like, oh my God, stop. Do I have to? Do I you, have to you've, got, you've got the platinum fast pass uh, right. to get to Queen Gua, I think. That's all I need to know. So yeah, V's going to go in there. And I think V is um, kind of dressed, not in like the traditional robes, but not quite in the gear. I think it's a lot more reminiscent of her old style a little bit. She's probably using just some disguise self magic just to make herself look uh, nice, but still somewhat casual. And I think she's going to go in there and start off with like, Oh, uh, queen. Uh, hello. It's so nice to see you. I was wondering if I could just have a few moments of your time. Perhaps, uh, maybe we could bet on some, uh, some, Things going on in the court that uh, might be of interest, you might find some good action on. Okay, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Before you get to that point, V, I think because the guards recognize you, and you get the sense that Queen Gua has given you a pass, so like you're allowed to go through because she seems interested in you and she wants to continue talking with you. So you're allowed to go into her private betting chambers, right? Uh, not betting, betting, betting chambers. See, wipe that smirk, that incredulous look <laughs> it off your face. It doesn't sound like betting. I'm sorry, like betting, betting. Her betting chambers. Uh, the guards push the doors open and you enter into a familiar, like vast chamber full with like dusty magic, right? You see like the four uh, imperial animals in each corner of this room. You feel like the weave thick here and tight uh, with a zone of truth just thrumming over this entire area. You see the mahjong table in the center. You see those two servants uh, that play with Queen Guo every time. You see Queen Guo, massive Goliath woman, silvery hair braided down in thick plates down her back, facing off against a dragonborn woman. Uh, her back is to you. She sat where you were sat just a couple of days ago, right? With these like beautiful red crests fanning out from her neck. She's draped in these elaborate silver and blue robes. And you realize that Queen Guo is playing against the first wife, Queen Mo, when you enter this chamber. Oh, dear. Ah, V, come on in, come on in. 
Our game was just ending. Why don't you have a seat over here? Uh, you. And Queen Gua snaps a finger and one of the servants just gets up and leaves. All right, what, uh, what lovely company to sit at. What, what a table. Uh, um, hello, my, I'm, hello, my name is Vinak Scherzo, your name? V, as you sidle forward and maybe, like, take the seat that the servant vacated, Queen Moor. This austere dragonborn woman turns her face to look at you with, I think, such disdain that you've never encountered before in your life. Like this woman, if she could wilt flowers with a gaze, your petals would be shriveled right now. And Queen Moore just sort of looks at you down the bridge of her nose and looks back at Queen Guo uh, and says, I believe I have Mahjong. And she like lowers her tiles. Uh, Queen Guo goes, ah! Giraffe, you beat me again. Another. And like the, t the tiles begin shuffling magically as they always do. And it's like the clacking of like the tiles over each other like sort of like emanate throughout this room. Queen Moore turns a steely gaze upon you, V, and says, <laughs> To what do we uh, owe the pleasure of your company, V. Nocherzo? Well, I was just, uh, you know, I was going about the palace and I heard there's some interesting action going around and I just thought that perhaps my wonderful friend here uh, and obviously he's pointing to uh, the second second wife Queen Gua oh yeah right first second got it my brain was going a while in numbers the second wife uh, I thought you would enjoy some of these uh, some of the action some of the betting and uh, in terms of the first wife you know I Probably it's below you. You you seem so like you you don't really deal with this type of stuff. You enjoy the game. You're obviously very good at it. Uh, you know your your handiwork is a little. Uh, it's very clean. You're very good at handling tiles. I'm, I'm so very the much thing admired. about the slumbering palace outsider that you must understand is that the first wife sees and hears all. And like at that. Queen Guo is also sort of looking at you with a very, like, implacable expression on her face. This Goliath woman. She's just sort of looking at you, observing to see how you're going to respond. And Queen Guo finally turns, like, her shoulders, right? Her elegant so shoulders to, like, face you more completely. I hear you're a paragon. Aren't you? You did describe that the zone of truth is active right now, right? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. Um, it is... True, it's if you were in the championship of Nabal, you would have seen and heard everything that I am indeed Pedagon. I'm I am representing Scald and Nectis, those those lovely kids, those lovers of lovers. And um, you know, I'm doing what I do, which is be a paragon, you know, save Andake, do important hero stuff. It's you know, it's it's a gig. It pays the bills. And you travel with other paragons, do you not? The half-orc, the Aarakocra, and of course, Makoya. Oh, you mean Oka? Yeah, I've known Oka for quite some time. It's, they're quite lovely. You should uh, maybe get to know them a little bit. They're, I really think you'd like them if you gave them a chance. I know Makoya in a way that you never will. V. Nakshirzo. Why are you here? What are you trying to bet? What are you trying to wager with Ru Chong? What am I trying to gain? I'm trying to simply uh, call upon my friend here, Queen Gua, to 
you know, see about a situation that I think she would find very fruitful, and I think that you would find it rather dull and merely beneath you, and if you were to hear the details of said event, you would probably just, you know, brush it off as just silly hijinks by people who are below you, so, you know, it's just a little... Just a little action happening around the palace. You know, I like to bet on anything. I like to bet on whether or not the soup is on time. I like to bet on whether, you know, uh, three servants are bringing us dinner or two. It's, you know, I, I bet on all the silly things. How do you think I amass my fortune? Do you think I don't have a sense of humor? I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Queen, Queen Guo at this. Queen Guo, when you say that? Uh, she lets out a... <laughs> oh, my queen. Guilian, didn't I tell you that this one is... This one has quite a cutting tongue. V, we're all friends here. You're my good friend V. I'm your good friend Ru Chong. This is your good friend Queen Mo. Because we're all friends here, surely what you can say in front of me, you can say in front of the first wife. V considers us for a moment, and... Well, you know, here's an interesting bet. I'd like to see where you stand on this, Queen Mo. Uh... Would you bet that it is possible or not possible to do something as heinous and truly irreprehensible as, I don't know, kill the emperor? Do you think that would be a thing you would bet on? Queen Moore looks you up and down with a single flick of her crested eyelids. Such a deed would be difficult, but I don't think anything is impossible, necessarily. And... If you were a player on the... F if this was Mahjong, would you work to make this happen? Or would you work to make sure that this doesn't happen? Which side are you betting on? The queens exchange a look. And Queen Moa turns back to you and says, At the end of the day, V. Nakshirzo, what matters to me and mine is the health of my bloodline. Ergo, the health of Too Long. The Emperor... Prince Moa's mother-father, and the mother-father of every other child in this palace. She stands for the people. She is beloved by all. For her to die now at such a critical juncture of our kingdom would be inadvisable. And of course, of course she is my husband, and I do love her. So when it comes to where I stand, in this game, I stand by my husband's side, as I always have, and perhaps I always will. Well, if that's... We are sitting here in a very powered room of magic, of truth-telling. We only tell truths here, so I will take you at face value. If I find out otherwise, then I'm sure uh, there's consequences to lying in such a place here. So, uh... If you're interested in, in putting a little wager of stopping the Emperor from possibly being killed, I could use some help at the, at the table, so to speak. We need to count some cards and do everything we can to ensure that the house does not win. Fine. We're all in. <laughs> there is one important distinction, though, my good friend Vinok Sherzo, says Queen Guo. The enemy is not the house. 
We are the house. And the enemy is an interloper here in our home. Well, you know what they say, the house always wins, so let's make sure that happens. That's right. The house does always win. In the end? Fine. We help you. Now you tell us everything. Breathes. V takes a deep breath. So, here's what we know. And V goes on to tell them about that there is a spy. There is a spy. They have been working with someone who we have done what we can with that person. And that person really is so low on the totem. We don't even need to worry about them. What is important is that they have told us about this spy who is the true connection to this would-be assassin. And perhaps uh, who may ever may be in charge of handling this assassin. And what we need, and this is where you come in, my beautiful, wonderful uh, second wife here, second queen, uh, is that we need a space where a very adept magic user cannot get out of. And then we have a plan to trap them and keep them and find out information from them and do such wonderful, wonderful things. We're actually being very quite merciful. I, We had some plans. You should have heard that it was woof. It was... Oof, these plans. But we decided to, you know, we worked and made a very nice plan that keeps them very healthy, very cozy, very warm in a place that they can't get out of. But again, we need help to trap them somewhere. This is where you come in. Uh, at that, the queens look at each other again. I like this, like, you get the sense maybe they're communicating telepathically, actually, V. <laughs> like, with how many glances they're sharing. And then they look back at you. And Queen Moa says, Fine. But on one condition. I keep the spy. How about this? I counteroffer with that we hold on to the spy for a considerable length of time until we know that everything is clear. I mean, we are paragons after all. We are, you know, quite powerful. We're quite competent. We've done a lot of things. Let me tell you, it's been a wild, wild almost year now in Andake, and we've done some things. We've confronted gods, we have yelled at high-powered magic users, so you can trust us to hold on to said spy, and if at the end of it we feel it is now safe to release the spy, they're all yours, I don't have any need for them, but only once we have decided so. A moment of quiet as you sort of see Queen Moa stare at you in a really steely way. And you see it sort of like, I think like calculus going over, over her face. And then the calculus spits out a result and she smiles in a way that doesn't reach her eyes. And she says, fine, you hold on to the spy. I want something else from you then, Vinok Sherzo. When all of this is said and done and the assassin's head is on a plate in front of our dutiful emperor herself, there will be a reckoning. Things have been said that cannot be unsaid, and certain errant princes will seek to claim their due. I simply ask that you, as the liaison between your paragons and us, the house, so to speak, you stand with the house. Well, so, okay, you've laid out very specific conditions. Head, silver platter, front of everyone. That's the conditions. Once that is made, you want to know that I will be standing with you for a, perhaps a certain prince who may or may not have said some things that maybe they'll regret later. 
This sounds maybe, and pointing to the first wife, sounds a little bit like your son, perhaps, in certain social situations. Uh, sure. Yep, I agree to these terms and conditions. We are not talking about Prince Mo. We are talking about Prince Makoya Hien. There will be a reckoning, V. I am not dense. Prince Hien will want what they think is rightfully theirs. I simply wish you to come to bat for me. You're a paragon, your word has weight. Though you're an outsider, the people will listen. You know what? <sighs> Why not? Sure, let's go for it. I'll. You know, if what you say is true, that uh, uh, my friend Oka is wanting to claim some type of royal birthright, sure, why not? I'll come to bat for you. Good. And Queen Wu extends a hand for you to shake to seal the deal. V laughs for a moment and just like, do you know the last time someone put me into a magical contract with them what I did? This isn't a terminal. Don't bring your baggage here. Shake. V reaches out her hand. Uh, she Well, she looks at her hand first and... You know, you know what? I haven't made a bad choice today yet, and reaches out and grabs it and shakes. V, <laughs> uh, upon you shaking Queen Wu's hand, you feel like the tendrils of the weave in this room just wrap around your hand and like all the way, like your flesh sort of tingles in a weird way as it like wraps up your arm and like all the way up to your shoulder, right? And Queen Wu's smile for the first time since you've met her reaches her eyes. And then we cut. To Oka. Oka, for these past three days, maybe like you sneeze, <laughs> like out of nowhere when like V shakes Queen Mo's hand, you're like, why did I sneeze? I don't know. Uh, what are you up to? Oka is miserably taking a bath, I think right now. And every, like every day, right, they uh, wake, <laughs> they need to change their pillowcase every day because they wake up uh, with a massive nosebleed from sustaining uh, the blood curse that they have with Mu Piao and they are in pain I think for the whole day uh, and they're trying to be fine about it uh, but they keep doing things like they'll like their hand will kind of like twitch and seize and they'll like knock a cup of tea that they're drinking over uh, or they'll like start scribbling and need to like drop their pen because of just these like lightning bolts of like pain going through them and it's I think like starting to get worse you know I imagine that the longer Oka was is without that integral piece of their soul the more it is starting to affect them uh insofar as they've also like been like casting light and watching how it like fizzles out eventually when they don't want it to so i think they're doing what they know best the only way that they have ever self-cared in their entire life which is taking a bath like for hours every day they're just in the bath <laughs> when they're not like talk when they're not you know like talking to their mom or uh you know loitering outside of halo's pagoda they are taking a bath and i think that's where they are in this moment okay uh i think as you're sort of like soaking in this warm water maybe even shaking even though you're surrounded by warmth we take a look at you and you look you look bad okay you've always looked kind of fucked up with your scars and your hair and the bags under your eyes but you look real bad i think you're in the worst physical shape we've ever seen you in um you almost look freaking translucent 
on the sides. You know what I mean? Like, it looks like a part of your soul was seized out of your body violently, right? Like, you're not looking good. You're frail looking, you're shaking, your eyes look unfocused, like your breath is sort of coming out in this like stuttering short way and you just keep bleeding. You can't hold a pen for more than five seconds. It's, it's not good. I think we're gonna pull out of the bath as you're sort of shaking there, like surrounded by this like misty haze to Dewey. And I think, Dewey, you're kind of like loitering outside this bath for a particular reason. Because in between, I think, all of your ventures into the vault, you've been ruminating on something else as well. Would you like to tell us what else has been on your mind? I mean, Oka's the only one Dewey's ever known who's had a chunk of their soul ripped out. How, com how convenient. I literally am not the Paragon Killer. I made it sound like I was the Paragon Killer right there. Um, but he's, I think he's holding like a towel and he knocks on the door of the bathroom. He's like, Oka, uh, you left your towel out here. Yeah, what? So what? I'll bring it in. Okay. And he like <laughs> opens the door and like shields his eyes, like holds out the towel. Dewey, you can open your eyes. You just seem like you're having a bad time. I didn't want to intrude. No, I'm I'm fine. And they're saying it in the way that they kind of like, they're kind of so pitiful at this point that it's clear that they want you to stay, I think. You really don't look fine. You, it can't be good for you to keep bleeding out like that every morning. I don't really know what that is. It just doesn't stop. I think it's maybe the blood magic, but, and they kind of like, you know, daub at their nose again, which is like kind of just crusted with blood a little bit. It's fine. It's okay. It's just a little bit. You've been um you've been reading stuff about souls, right? Yeah. How's yours been doing? And Oka like finally like I think they were just kind of looking forward, you know, and then they finally like turn to Dewey at the doorway and they're like the like the deep, deep, deep eye bags. How do I look? Can I ask you about it? Yeah, fuck it, why not? Dr. Luce always says it's better to talk about things than just deal with them by yourself, so. They're smart like that. Far too smart for us, I think. For me, at least. What happened out there in the forest? And Oka gets this really far away look. Nice flying, fighting with Minaj after Queen War, which is an entirely different problem. And I felt something go through my wing. It was uh, perfect right through the joint. And then the other one fell back into the sacred grove. And then there was this person, I told you already, mask, no part of their body exposed. And they just attacked me with these chisels that would float around them like some fucked up halo. And they'd hit them like driving a nail into a wall. And then they had a special one. And that was the one that I couldn't dodge. Of course. It was gold. And when it went through me, it didn't hurt in the way that getting stabbed <laughs> hurts, and I would know. It hurt in a different way. And it snagged, and then it pulled free. And you felt your soul, part of your soul, leave? Your body yeah it's hard to describe 
Like, it doesn't feel real, do we? The kind of pain that I feel... <laughs> it's constant. It's vicious. It's sharp. It's different. You know, what Rev had talked about with um, Grim, being able to take souls out of people, like, I've never heard of that sort of power from anyone that wasn't, well, Rev, or this killer. I'm just afraid that only Paragons are the ones with that sort of power to take... I guess Paragon's an empty. It would be a kind of fucked up balance, wouldn't it? But I don't know, Dewey. I think the problem is, is that it's just a piece. If it had taken the whole thing, then my soul would be stuck on the chisel. But at least it would be intact. The problem now is that I could feel it looking for itself. I only find the frayed edges and that's where it hurts. Where it's not finding its other half. Where it's not finding the rest of itself. But it's still there and I can still feel it being gone. Dewey, what Oka is saying, I think, is re resonating with the research you've been doing. Uh, so if you'd like, I can tell you what you've been discovering through like reading phylacteral creation, thinning the veils, and to break a soul. As you look at Oka, just sort of like sat in this bath, like dripping with water, looking hollow, looking drained and exhausted, you think about all the literature you've read in the past week or two weeks or so. And here's like some of the surface level stuff, some of the stuff that like most soul adepts who are interested in this like material would know. First off, every living creature has a soul, straight up. And when their body dies, then the soul goes to the after to rest. Quite straightforward, right? Occasionally, a soul in the after can be reincarnated into a new body with very little memory of its past life, if any at all. But this situation is rare, right? Almost never happens. And usually only happens because of some outside force causing it to occur. The metaphysical properties of a soul, like what a soul is made of and why it's made of that stuff and how it interacts with other things is mostly unknown, uh, but there is a relationship between the stability of one's soul and the stability of one's ti. And ti is essentially soul energy. It flows through the body of every single living creature, right? If, uh, if blood is to a heart, then ti is to a soul. Right, it's the same thing, it has the same kind of relationship. Um, monks and aesthetics can manipulate C to a greater degree than regular people, right? But C is still an essential component of every living being. As an aside, some Tulongan mages believe that C is what enables spellcasters of every flavor to utilize magic. No matter if they're sorcerers, wizards, warlocks, bards, druids, etc., it doesn't matter. Um, some mages think that it's all C. Right? And this all feeds into a thaumaturgical theory that keeps coming up in all three books, which is known as the divine triptych of life. Mind and thought, body and blood, soul and tea. This divine triptych, mind, body, soul, are interrelated and can't be separated from each other without some form of violence, sacrilege, sacrifice, etc. However, the quest for immortality is what has driven some powerful spellcasters across the ages toward the path of separating body and soul. 
right? The only way to extend your body's capacity to live beyond its natural conclusion is to ensure that your soul, no matter what, won't pass on to the after, even if your body dies, to anchor it somehow in the now. That's how you can achieve immortality, right? And that's how lichdom comes into play, right? Aspiring liches will undertake this gruesome, dangerous, and often volatile process to separate their soul from their body completely and put this soul into an object known as a phylactery. And this object, this phylactery, can be anything. A box, a gem, a jar. Uh, but as long as the phylactery itself remains intact, the lich can't die. So even if the lich's physical body is destroyed, say, burned to a crisp, chopped into a thousand pieces, turned to dust, whatever, um, as long as the phylactery is okay, then eventually the lich's body will reform out of nothing. Uh, and like I said earlier, this phylactery is what tethers the lich's soul to the now. And this is seen as major sacrilege. Achieving lichdom is seen as like extremely evil and profane by a lot of people in Endake, especially people from the Court of Ravens. Uh, but there's less of a taboo around lichdom in Long specifically. A lot of emperors of yore, like ancient emperors, were liches who reigned for centuries and centuries and centuries, right? And you've also, uh, I think at this point, have learned that each of the three ruling spouses of the current emperor, that's Queen Mo, Queen Guo, and Ruler Ra, which I don't think any of you have met yet, practice a specialization of the divine triptych. Queen Mo is a flesh seer, right? She manipulates the body. Queen Guo is a spirit seer, right? She can sort of like peer into the soul realm. And ruler Rao, the third one, is a bone magician who also manipulates the body, but very differently from Queen Mo. Okay, this is slightly deeper soul lore. And the deepest soul lore, and I think the most troubling soul lore you've encountered so far, Dewey, are two particular things that I think have, have, have weight heavy on your mind. The first troubling piece of information is that there's no precedent for removing part of a soul. Okay, all anecdotes and all experiments about partial transference have failed miserably, resulting in death, or even worse, the creation of a homunculus or a chimera. Um, it's frankly not possible to only live with part of your soul intact, and such an existence is inevitably short, painful, full of suffering, volatile, and dangerous. You get the feeling that Oka has maybe survived to the extent that they have, probably because they're a paragon, and it's very likely that Vinash is working overtime to keep them alive, right? If Oka was like a normal person who got part of their soul ripped out, they'd probably just straight up have died, right? From, from the encounter, like straight up they would have just been murked. The second troubling thing you've learned through your research is that souls don't regenerate. Tarnak and Kilohana were like, we're pretty sure they can regenerate and you'll be okay. But none of the literature you've read supports this at all, right? Like pretty much everything points toward if a soul is shredded or broken, it doesn't come back, right? It's like getting your arm ripped off. Your arm's not going to grow back. It's just gone. So that's what's sort of weighing on your mind as you're looking at Oka and asking these questions. Listen, Oka. Souls don't come back. They don't regenerate. They're not meant to be ripped apart. You know this. And I don't want to watch you just fade away and suffer the entire time. That's the whole point of my my fucking god jar, uh, which I think is the first you've heard of <laughs> the god jar. I think Oka was going to say something else, but then their brow kind of goes that funny way that they do when they're thinking about something really hard. God jar. What the hell is a god jar? I have been trying. All of my research has been to try and find a way to store a god shard temporarily in case one of the paragons isn't available to take it if 
the whole assassination thing, um, if, say, the Emperor does die and we don't have a body for the God Shard to go into, like, what happens to that God Shard? You wanted to put it in a jar. I wanted it to not dissipate into the weave or whatever, or the nothingness, I guess. But I think it, what's more pressing is I don't, I don't want to see that happen to you, Orvinash. Huh. You know, if I was feeling better, I'd probably be a lot madder at you. But no, I get it. Uh, Rev has been taking care of the anger part. Don't worry. Yeah, she's good at that. Don't tell her, please. Oh my god, she'll actually murder me. <laughs> Dewey, I, I see what you mean. I can see what you were trying to do, and and I'm not. For once in my fucking life, I'm not mad. But I think there's something about being able to hold Vinash, the god shards, that is stuck in the way that our souls work. I don't think a jar would be able to hold them. But fuck, if anyone could, maybe you can. That's why I think the god uh, the god jar needs some sort of some part of a soul inside of it, which is what I was looking into before before I saw what it did to you. Ah, uh, to break a soul. Yeah, that wasn't my goal to break a soul, uh, but <laughs> looks like that's already happened. When you read lich books, Dewey, <laughs> I don't think there's any way to take the souls apart in a way that doesn't hurt, do we? In a way that doesn't do whatever this is. I can feel it eating at me, the emptiness, but if you could... We saw in Cain, Bloodthirst, the god shards can live in different things, at least for a time. If you could figure out how to Make something that could hold it without a piece of the Paragon's soul in it. I would believe in you. I just... I mean, the soul breaking has already been done. And I don't want to... And I think Dewey is uncharacteristically a little bit, like... He's having a hard time. He's getting a little bit choked up. Um, and he says, like, I don't want to see you just fade away into nothingness and not have been able to do anything about it. Like, this is... I'm trying to save all of us, any one of us. And I guess, like, I made this, this, the plan for the jar was to capture the Emperor's soul or, and God Shard, um, if anything were to happen, if they were to die. But I guess what I'm saying is, I, what if I have to use it for you? <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to let me think about it. I don't like the idea of just being a jar, but... Dewey. And Oka kind of, like, moves over to the edge of the tub and, like, puts their arms over the edge. And, like, faces Dewey, I think, for the first time. Like, for real. Listen, Dewey. The jar idea might not work out, but... Whoever is hunting us down... Has the same idea... But if you, if your research is one step ahead of theirs, maybe we could figure out how to put it back. Because <laughs> you might be afraid that I'm going to waste into nothing. 
Bacardi. I'm not about to go down without a fucking fight. And everything I do, I use pain. You think this isn't going to make me stronger? I am terrified of how the pain will feel you. And to that end, I will do my very best to make sure the, to find that other chunk of your soul and return it to you by means of this jar, if necessary. That's my nasty little scientist. Will you go get me a different towel, please? Oh, this isn't yours. Sorry. This is uh, Rev's, I think. And all of you hear like a, Cardu, where's my towel? Uh, <laughs> and maybe on that, like Dewey's like feathers ruffling and like skittering out of the bathroom. Oka's settling back into the waters as like this haze fills up our screen. Manaya, we see you sparring with Rev in the garden outside the guest quarters. Uh, I think like we see like your feet like moving amongst the flowers and then like we see like the petals sort of like whip around as like a an errant blade of wind swirls about this like outside arena. And then we like pan up to see Rev whose short hair sort of like ruffled against her scalp. Uh, she's unarmed, Grim is not out. Her spiked whip is still strapped to her waist. Her black leather armor sort of, um, I think beaded with sweat that's dribbling down the back of her neck as you launch yourself at her. So why don't you describe to us what's going on? Manaya is just how we saw her at the beginning of the arc, sleeveless armor, black inlaid with almost arcane sort of gold, long dark pants, boots, all that kind of good stuff. And her axe is out, but she's very distinctly, she's wielding it backwards so that she's only using the blunt side of it um, and only switching it around when she's ready. And she's doing the, the thing when you spar with real blades where you get really close and like stop. But as soon as she's ready, her grip loosens the blade flips, she grabs it again, and then maybe we like zoom in on the blade as as the blade swings through the air, the air that hits the blade starts to compress into this like a shimmering wavy thing that goes across the blade. And she actually lunges and grazes Rev's arm, like her, her bicep. And immediately on contact, that like wavy compressed air spreads really really quickly from her arm all the way across her entire body and suddenly she is locked in this sort of whatever position she was in looking like almost like an illusion that you would like see in a desert when you're very very parched and she says all right now any movement that you make should set it off we just need to get it from something as big and obvious as my axe to well ideally something as small as a pin uh, Rev, who's sort of, sort of sheathed in this mirage-like booming energy, right? That's sort of like wavering along her arm. She sort of twists her arm and like steps backward. And that's when I think the energy like explodes off of her body. Ugh. She sort of like winces a little bit as like, um, you sort of see like her arm vibrate, right? From like energy just like ricocheting off of her arm. Ugh, that stings a little. It certainly is going to cause quite a ruckus if we're trying to apprehend this spy. Might slow them down a bit on their escape. And that's what we need. We need them to not escape. Make it more trouble than it's worth. All right. Try with that pin from that sewing kit we found. It, right to the pin? I... Come on. Let's see how much of a gap you have. All right. Manaya sets her axe down. Maybe leans it against the side of a, of a building or like a, a hedge. 
She concentrates really, really hard on this pin. I think this is the first time she's ever tried at something in this small. And so like the the very tip of it starts to waver. And then the whole thing and like her hand and like down her wrist a little bit gets covered in this like in this wavering compressed air. And I think as soon as she sees like all of that light up, she goes, ah, and like drops the pin and like this <laughs> uh, is her hand and her hand explodes. And it's like, ooh, ah, that does sting. I've never done that to myself. <laughs> oh, Manaya, that was hilarious. Ah, oh, thanks for obliging me. Yeah, no, we definitely shouldn't have <laughs> dropped down to a pin so fast. I just wanted to see you smart the same way I smarted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is you getting me back, I guess. All right, pick up that axe. Let's go again. Right. And I think like on you, like picking the axe off against the hedge, maybe swinging it down. We cut to like you and Rev, like sitting, I think like at the tea table, like your hands clasped against each other, your biceps bulging as you're like arm wrestling against each other. And like we see maybe like a scorecard, like leaned up on the table. This is like 16 to 16, right? What is Rev's strength score? I don't know if you know that, uh, but we can have y'all roll opposed strength if you would like. And if anyone else would like to be in this room while it happens, you can be in this room while it happens. I would like to be in the room and I would like Manaya to win, so I'm doing my flash of genius. <laughs> You're cheating? Subtly. What? Subtly. <laughs> would Manaya accept Dewey's subtle help? I don't think she would know how to refuse it, but as soon as she notices that it's happening, she's like, hang on, switch arms to the arm that's not being affected. <laughs> hey, no cheating, bird brain. Yeah, I don't know how to get this off, but making us use a, well, I'm ambidextrous, but I don't know about you, Rev. Yeah, I'm buffing both arms. Come on, left to left then. Oka's, I think, like, uh, leaned back against one of the walls and they have the scorecard and they're just watching, just pleasantly. V's laid up in the bed, just kind of watching as well, just, uh... She knows exactly what Rev's uh, strength level is. Like Oka and V, like back to back, like both of them just kind of watching. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, let's do a, a, a flat strength check. Yep, 14. Ayy! 22! <laughs> So, so the the point I think because you refuse Dewey's help, like goes to rabbits. Seventeen, sixteen, baby. Uh, we're still doing best out of thirty. Couple more rounds. <sighs> okay, I can keep going if you can keep going, Manaya. <sighs> Go all night. Better than having that damn dream. That's true. All right, other hand, and you. Rev points to you, Dewey. Don't even think about interfering. I haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. All right. Let's go again. And I think, like, you you both, like, go for it again, right? So if you want to roll, you know, it's fun. Let's roll straight Let's again. do one more. One more. Yeah. Oh, she did not roll well. 21. She got a seven that time. <laughs> yeah, so this time you beat her handily. Oh, oh, I wasn't set up. Hey, I caught foul on that one. I wasn't... Point to Manaya. This is never going to end, is it? Yeah, who who set the... up this best of uh, win by two rule? Come on, we're going to be here all night. <laughs> Oka well... smirks. <laughs> I think the table's gonna break before we do. Manai looks down to like this table that has two like big divots in it and like cracks forming on either side. <laughs> we can keep going. I don't mind, personally. Uh, maybe like a servant comes by with tea and just <sighs> sighs really sadly upon seeing the table, like sets the tea down and then leaves. Come on, come on, let's go, let's go again, let's go again. Uh, and on that, I think, like, on, like, Rev switching, like, arms again with Manaya, and uh, one of their fists, bam, hitting, hitting the wood of the table again. We cut, get again, to Dewey. 
the scene of mirth and cheer and everyone like sitting around this arm wrestling table just sort of like fades away. And I think we like hear the ghostly whispers of like Manaya and Rev laughing as we see now a small figure wandering the streets of Dokao. I think wreathed in starless dark, lit only by the flickering flames of nearby lantern posts. And as this figure passes underneath one of these illuminated cones of light, we see Cardu Dewey Quirk. Dewey, you are heading toward Tarnak and Kilohana's shop at a quite late hour, I think. Uh, are you sneaking out or have you told your friends where you're going? Um, I think Dewey was watching through like the doorway of his room, um, this arm wrestling thing. And when Rev was like, don't interfere, he was like, all right. And he like closed the door and then he probably went out a window because they were in the main living room where the door is. Okay, sounds good. Uh, you have absconded out of the slumbering palace and I've landed in Dokao. And I think now you like sneak up like through like this archway, this wooden archway past like this garden with like the clucking of like hens and chickens pecking about the grounds up onto like, I think like the main steps, this porch. And I think at this point, you know that Grandpa Hien and the late bloomers have left Dokao. They've returned back to the late bloom flower farm, which means only Tarnak and Kilohana uh, live in their shop, which also operates as their like um, like sculpture, like vase store, right? So you walk up to like the front porch of the store, you're, like look around, you're pretty sure you weren't followed, right? Like no shadows slink in your periphery. You knock on the door, you hear footsteps from within, and then like cracking the door open is Kilohana. She's this bronze tiefling, Right. And in the dark, she's got this like glossy, almost like incandescent skin that like glows a little bit. Right. Even in, under like the, the shadows that are creeping in in like late evening. She's wearing this like very plain looking dress. Uh, and she looks she looks tired, more tired than usual. Almost like she's pulled a couple of all nighters a little bit. You see like some dark bags underneath her eyes. And she but her face lights up when she sees you. Ah, Dewey, it's so good to see you. Um, We weren't expecting you, but please come in. Yeah, there's uh, some new developments, uh, and Dewey steps in. Really? Wow. And she like closes the door behind you, and as she starts leading you through like this foyer area, says, Oh, why don't you tell me about these new developments? Good things, I hope. Uh, Tarnak and I have some news to catch you up on as well. Oh, uh, mind your feet. As she starts leading you through the um, area where like Tarnak's like, old sculptures were, but you notice that it's a lot more barren than the last time you were here. There are a lot fewer sculptures and art pieces than usual. And maybe like catching your eye, she goes, oh, uh, we had to sell a few of our old uh, sculptures, uh, passion projects to help fund the creation of the jar. But but it's coming along nicely. Um, Go ahead, Dewey, you were about to say? Oh, I feel, you didn't have to do that. I, uh, you've already given me so much with your help and expertise and time, <sighs> I didn't. No, I, anything to help Andake. Anything to help our home. Do you want to give me the good news first? Yes, the good news. Thanks to uh, your hard work finding those books uh, in the slumbering palace, we were able to mock up a prototype of sorts. I'm pretty sure it's it, it will work as long as we have the piece of the Paragon soul that we need. Okay. Um, the bad news is the time is nigh. Uh one of the Paragon's souls has already been forcibly split. What? What? Cardi, what are you talking about? Isn't 
the assassin supposed to strike much later? Uh, apparently, the assassin is not just going after the emperor of Toulon. Um, what? And has gone for our dear Oka's soul and taken part of it. The prince! The returning prince! Yes. Oh, oh my, I... I'm sorry, I... She, like, catches herself, right, on, like, a, a statue, I think, of, like, an elf. She, like, catches onto, like, like the elbow. I'm sorry, I... I've stayed up quite late these past few nights, and this is not good news at all. Um, please, come in, come in. Tarnak's just having a nightcap. Yeah, I think Dewey takes, like, um, Kilohana's arm oh. uh, to s steady her. Thank you, Cardu. I do appreciate that. Well... <clears throat> Come in, come in. What kind of a post am I? This isn't very hospitable at all, please. Oh, I hope you don't uh, think of me so much as a guest as a... Uh, a friend? A friend, yeah. A, uh, conspiring sounds like the wrong word, but like a conspiring mind. <laughs> uh, a colleague, how about that? Sure. Uh, minds in common, birds of a feather, as they say. And she leads you like into like the dining area, like past this foyer filled with like this these dusky statues and whatnot. Um, and you see Tarnok sort of sat at the dining table, sort of knelt there, and is sort of like sipping tea, right? Very like slowly and tenderly, right? And Tarnok uh, is, of course, this very striking-looking elven person with like skin like black marble, right? Like crisscrossed with veins of gold. And they like lower their teacup uh, when you come in, and they. Like, put up, like, these fingers kind of awkwardly. Like, uh, I think, like, on their left hand, they, like, wave at you. Uh, hello, Cardu. W welcome. Come in. I couldn't help but overhear your conversation in the foyer. Is Oka okay? We've never met, but I I do admire them from uh, a distance, I guess. Okay is not the word I would use to describe Oka, but they're hanging. They're still hanging in there for now. Well, the good news is the soul should be able to regenerate, so given enough time and rest and recuperation, Oka will be fine. Uh, you haven't gotten to chapter 34 of um, To Break a Soul, have you? Uh, well, we did skim that chapter a little because it was mostly theoretical and we were looking for pragmatic applications. Cardu, is something the matter? Uh... And I think Dewey opens up his notebook where he's just like circled. Uh, he's written souls do not regenerate in uh, <laughs> big block letters and circled and underlined it and like drawn a little face of him panicking, like a panicked face next to it. Oh. Oh my. Oh. And you sort of see like Kilohana sort of like deflate a little. And like Tarnok is sat there just sort of like staring at your notes with like an, like an implacable look on their face. Oh, I, but we already made a prototype and I, we sold so many of our art pieces and I, I, I know I feel so bad about that. Um, I don't think all hope is lost. I think we just need to maybe redirect the folk. I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure it's like something we can extract a soul in preparation for. Um, it might just have to be like a backup in case of a sudden loss of life, shall we say. Okay. A backup. All right. Okay. We can, we can be plan B. Uh, all right. Okay. Right. Right. Uh, hope, hope isn't all lost. Um, right. We'll, we'll get through this. 
Uh, Akilo Hana and like like touches Tarnok's like right hand and sort of like grips it. Tarnok like nods slowly, and then looks back at you, Dewey, and says, "How uh is Oka? I mean, if their soul is ripped apart, are they? How are they dealing with it? We've never. I mean, obviously, this is uncharted territory for all of us. Yeah, I've seen I've seen them sacrifice <laughs> their own." well-being their health parts of themselves uh to do amazing things but this is oh surely they must be bedridden they must be so weak and exhausted oh perhaps i can send a nice care package i'm sure they would appreciate that but i seriously i um you've helped us out so much already and i would hate to put any more stress on the two of you oh no we we like to help a lot and thank you Cardu, uh, really, thank you. Uh, it's not every day that... Okay, this is going to sound a little weird, I guess, but maybe from one art artisan to another, you can understand, even though the stakes are high and obviously we want everything to turn out okay. Um, it was kind of fun to work on a project uh, like this. We've never gotten to work on something like this before, and we learned a lot about ourselves as craftspeople along the way, so... Uh, Thank you for that opportunity, Cardu. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I've worked on a lot of stuff before, but, um, it truly is, kind of is the project of a lifetime. Quite literally. <laughs> yes, quite literally. <laughs> well, would you like to stay for some tea? Sure, I'll, I like your company. Um, and the other Paragons are arm wrestling? Arm wrestling? Uh-huh. So, I'm much more in my element here. <laughs> Well, who's the strongest? Think carefully, Cardu Quirk. Yes, be careful. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I can't say. You don't know the kind of hell it would rain down upon me if they found but just, out. Hey, we're, you're among friends right now, Cardu. We won't tell anyone. <laughs> who's the strongest? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Come on, Dewey. Come on. Your cool friends want to know. I gotta say Manaya. Manaya. Right. She is quite large. We we did a little bit of research on your friends while you were gone. Didn't know what they look like and whatnot. Uh, oh, they're incredible. Oh. They're really cool. <laughs> well, I'd love to be introduced to them sometime if you have the chance. Uh, after all this is over, maybe. Yes, after. Uh, maybe yes. I'll bring them bring them by sometime, and we can. Uh, oh. I don't know. Have like a, have dinner or something. That would be fantastic. We'd really really enjoy that. And um. It's such a pity, because you did come and visit us when you were coming to Dokao for the first time, but if we'd known that you needed our help, oh, maybe we could have helped you even earlier on. Ah, that's in the past. Can't change what's already happened. Here, have some tea. Thank you. I think uh, Tarnok, like, Dewey's been here plenty, so, like, Tarnok's already had, like, prepared, like, sugar and yeah. honey or whatever. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. And he stays there for at least as... As long as he thinks it'll take them to break the tie between the two arm wrestlers. Okay. So yeah, you enjoy a nice cup of tea. Uh, they ask you more questions about, I think, like Oka, Manaya, and Rev, and V. They're very interested in your life and in your friends and in the Paragons. You get the sense that they're just like 
regular people caught up in this stuff, so they want to know as much about it as possible, right? And, like, Tarnak and Kilohana in particular seem very concerned about Oka, you know? Like, very, like, upset about that. And they, like, want to, like, know more, like, they want to know, like, how Oka's been doing and stuff. So just give me, like, a general sense, Dewey, of, like, how forthright and how open you are with, like, Tarnak and Kilohana about everything that's happened. Uh, very much so. I think Dewey hasn't voiced his concerns to, about Oka. Um, first of all, his talk with Oka in the bath was, like, the first time he told anyone about it and outside of Oka he hasn't like voiced his concerns about how they're doing uh, so this is sort of they're sort of his like confidants okay I think toward the end of the conversation we were about ready to go Tardock I think like that one of the, the last topics that Tardock brings up is you know I grew up in the championship and uh one of the first things that we're taught in the championship is that you make your own destiny right uh so it's weird a little bit odd for me to think that fate could have chosen paragons. The paragons are real. In a sense, it kind of goes against everything I was taught, but based on how you've described your friends, it seems like they're all really cool people who are using their power for for good, right? You guys are the good guys? Uh, we're trying to be. I think it's fate is so complicated, and morality is, as I'm learning, extremely gray. <laughs> Well, I, I'd like to think that I can trust you, Dewey. Uh, actually, truth be told, when I was a kid, uh, in the championship, I grew up dirt poor in this town. Uh, and the leader of our town, well, he modeled himself after the champion at the time, Bloodthirst. I don't know if you are familiar. Uh, he made himself kind of like a tyrannical ruler, and ever since I was a kid, I could just see how easily, I guess, like power could corrupt you so just just and Tardock actually reaches out and like holds on to like a feathered hand of yours just don't don't let that happen to you I understand I've also seen power and resource corrupt corrupt people and the people around them as well so you have my word oh, thank you well sometimes it's sometimes tragedies happen without rhyme or reason too um, before Tarnock and I met, I actually, uh, I had a, I had a husband. Uh, we, we had a son together. Um, he was our little boy, and, uh, he loved swimming. Um, we're from Wuhanahi, of course. Strong swimmer, fantastic surfer. You know, when he got older, he became a young, a young man. His 20s. He won quite a few surfing tournaments, but one night... And Kilohana gets this kind of, like, faraway look on her face. One night, our baby boy, Garha, he went out night surfing. He'd gone out night surfing many times before. We weren't worried. He's a fantastic surfer, incredible swimmer. But for some reason, that night, Mahu decided to take him. We never saw him since. Believe me, there was a period of time when my faith in Mahu wavered. How could this goddess who had given us everything who had given us life and wind and surf and love take the only thing that mattered to us it didn't make any sense cardu i'm afraid that the loss of our son well our marriage didn't survive that but then i met tarnak and um we moved uh, to the championship at first and then here to too long right after the cataclysm and I mean, especially now meeting you, I'm starting to get some hope 
in the world again. Maybe despite all this senseless tragedy and tragedy caused by people with power who wield it poorly, maybe there is hope for a better future. A future where everyone can just be happy and not really have to suffer anymore. Does that make sense? That's all I want. That's all I'm trying to do. Us too. We just want the suffering to end, Cardew. A better world for those who come after us. That's right. A better world. Happened a while ago. Uh, <clears throat> I did love my husband, but we couldn't... Well, we had problems in our marriage too, of course, but we did love each other and... Don't really know what... Anyway. Well, it's getting late. Uh, well, we'll see you off. By Mahu took their son. Am I to interpret that as the child uh, passed away? Yeah, like he, um, uh, he like, yeah, he, he, the, the ocean took him, right? He went surfing and never came back, right? Yeah. I just ask because I have a uh, weird child arrival story of my own, so. <laughs> no, no, also Garhal was like 20 at the time, right? Was like a young man when he was lost to the waves, right? He wasn't like three years old or anything like that. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, yeah, yep. Uh, so I think Tarnock and Kilohana see you off. They like like you're you're I think your belly full of nice tea, you know, nice warm tea, and maybe some other like snacks they've been feeding you. Uh, you set off, right, and you head back to the slumbering palace with like the two the, the odd couple like waving, right. Uh, you see like Tarnock like waving with their left hand, right, and then Kilohana with her right, and they like they're like forming this like little like like little like they see you off, and you go back to the slumbering palace, and I think that's when we can. Uh, I think, is it, is it spy chase time, friends? Is it time to lay our spy trap? As a quick clarification, can we assume that Manaya has gotten better after practicing? Yes, absolutely. Okay, okay. okay. I wasn't sure if we wanted to montage that or if that's just like, okay, it happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you got it. So I think we are going to cut to the morning of the third day. When Consort Mu Piao had told the five of you was when she was due to meet Idvala, the spy. So why don't the four of you, Okamaniya, Dewey, and V, tell me how you're like laying in wait for this trap? Oka's like, I swear to God, I swear to the gods above that there was a rabbit hole that you could wedge yourself under under this portion of fence to get through this courtyard. I feel like I remember it. They probably Might filled have... it in. And probably also fit you and you a six. All I need is a good vantage point. If I can get this, if I can just get this pin to them, they should freeze and we should be able to rush them. And any chance they try to escape, we slow down. There's a high chance that they're still going to get away. We're just going to have to chase them through the slumbering palace and make sure we don't lose sight of them because they're a changeling. All I need is one blade prick and I will be able to find them wherever it is they go. Can we put your blood on this pin? If it gets in their body, then... You know, you might make a good hemomancer, Manaya. You think like that. I don't know about that. I just figured, you know. But it needs to be their blood, right? You need their blood. Or if your blood gets into them, you're good. You're good. That's, that's how that works. A connection is a connection, V. Any direction. This is a type of magic I have no interest in. Uh, Manaya, uh, you need a vantage point. Is there like a tree or something I could... Teleport us up there in a jiffy. It takes no, no time at all. If there's a tree that could hold me and hide me well enough, 
Otherwise, any random hedge or bush that I could just sit in. Maybe not a tree, but the walls of the palace are high. The pagodas, they're decorated. You could hide behind anything up there. If we're all on the roof, Dewey, you can fly. I can jump down. Uh, I have an idea. And I this is assuming there are topiaries in the garden. I think Dewey has donned a ghillie suit of sorts. Oh and has turned himself into a bird-shaped hedge. God. Holding like a <laughs> ring. He's like balanced on one leg and he's okay, got like the ring. Okay, okay, okay. I need you to make a stealth check or a performance <sighs> check. It's up to you. With advantage, because I love the okay, idea. Does Dewey just walk out of his bedroom like this? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think I think Manaya helped get some of the, the like the leaves and branches and stuff to make it look like it's alive. Fantastic. Uh, I'm going to use my flash of genius because this is an idea that is genius if I do say so myself. So I got a 21. Okay. <laughs> okay. Dewey looks like a bush uh, holding your ring like in the garden. You're perfectly blended in, right? The only thing that might tip someone off is that bush was not there three days ago. It's like a new topiary, right? But other than that, you look like completely, you look like completely part of the garden, right? So that's Dewey's disguise. What about the rest of you? Oka makes sure that they uh, they prick their uh, hand with the needle that Manaya is going to use, uh, and then they hand it back to her, and they say, "Don't miss." I won't. Uh, and Oka would hide up on one of the roofs, like around the courtyard. Okay, so Oka also make a stealth check for me. Seventeen. Okay, you hunker down on the eaves of the roof. Right. And you're like, peer, you have a good vantage point. And you're pretty sure unless someone was actively looking for you or like scanning the sky, which the spy might, they seem pretty smart and perceptive. Uh, they probably won't see you. I should probably just use my invisibility, no? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, and I think Oka would actually hunker down. They would go into the garden with Dewey uh, and hunker down invisibly behind uh, his topiary. I think, actually, that's my that's my new retcon. We can still keep your stealth check. Uh, in addition to you being like invisible, right? In case the spy can, I don't know, see through invisibility, right? Uh, so what about V? I have an idea. Uh, if I, if you will let me cast seeming on you, Manai, I can make you also look like a boy. I'm rereading seeming, and it doesn't say I have to make you look like another creature. It just says I can change your appearance. So what if I made... You like uh, almost like a uh, like. There's the bird with the ring, and on the other side is like a giant half orc bush holding it as well. What do you think, Manaya? I think if Manaya got down on her knees to be more like Dewey's height, and then we were like in the fusion dance sort of thing. Oh my god! Okay, you know what? Okay, fine. So Manaya is hunkered down as like a half-orc holding onto the other side of the ring, right? Like your muscles aloft. V, how are you stealthing yourself? I think V then is just uh, going to go into a corner with some bushes and cast Minor Illusion in front of her just to cast a five-by-five-foot five square of bush that she's hiding behind. Roll stealth with advantage. 22. Okay, yeah, you minor illusion like a five foot block of hedge in front of you to completely just like obscure where you're hunkering down. And I think Rev is hunkered down next to you. I'm going to have her roll stealth. Well, she can turn invisible, actually. Yeah, well, she's going to roll stealth anyway, just like Oka. She got a nat one. 
Our DMPC is gonna fuck us up here? Use the, <laughs> use the collective inspiration, Connie. Use it. It's off. We don't have it. <laughs> okay, y'all, she, okay. She turns invisible, but she's in a horrible position. She's just straight up in the garden, I think. And maybe y'all are hustling. You're like trying to get into places. And you all hear, you start hearing like Consort Mu Piao's voice being like, I'm just going to um take my morning tea out here <clears throat> to enjoy the nice topiary. Like as like the, the sign that she's about to come out and the spy's about to meet her. And Rev's like, shit, shit. Uh, <laughs> and like a ripple of raven feathers goes down and she just turns invisible in like the middle of the courtyard, right? And Mu Piao steps out onto the back porch. She looks freshly showered, uh, bathed, one might say. Uh, their flaming red hair sort of like simmering like into a burnt auburn. They're like nursing a cup of tea and they're looking around their garden nervously. You see their eyes linger on the new hedges <laughs> of Dewey and Manaya. They like raise their eyebrows by like a fraction of a millimeter, but they quickly look away and they scan the rest of like the topiary and they don't seem to notice anything out of place. And that's when all of you like maybe like hold your breaths for like a minute, right? Like, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And then stepping out of the shadows, I think of like a uh, hawthorn tree shimmering into reality is Idvala. You all see this blue-skinned, lithe half-orc with like a mop of like curly golden hair on top of their head, uh, dressed in these very drab, very plain servant's clothes, right? Head held high, they're maybe like five foot six. Nothing particularly remarkable, except for the very sharp gaze that glances across this garden, right? Their eyes linger on Dewey and Manaya's ghillie suit slash like topiary hedge, but they don't flee immediately. They just linger on it. And then they turn back to Mu Piao. Uh, hi, uh, any news? And I'm gonna have Mu Piao make a performance check. I'm gonna have Idvala make an insight check. Uh, and Idvala says, no news. More of the same. We're getting ready for the wedding. First snow of winter, forecasts say, will be just about a week or so. You just need to hang tight. Any news on your end? No, uh, no news at all. Uh, mm, good. Then I'll be going. Uh, uh hold on, wait, actually, uh, there, I there is something. Uh, this tea I've been drinking is quite a wonderful variety of tea. My favorite, actually, green tea, very low caffeination rate. And Mupiao's sort of like buying time to like stall the spy here until like any one of you wants to act. So as Mupiao's like buying some time for you all, what do you all do? Does V want to message us that we're all coordinated? Yeah, I think V at this point is like, because V just had him behind this magic bush that doesn't actually exist. Uh, she cast message individually, like, are you all ready? And then once she's gotten all that, she like goes to Manaya, like, okay, Manaya, showtime. I think Manaya, from her position, it doesn't even look like she's moving. She's practiced this motion uh, probably 83 times that day, where it's just from her position, um, she's her arm's already back, the needle pricked between her fingers. She puts a little spin on it, by twisting her fingers and it's just boom forward 
faster than the wind and catching the wind as it goes, um, this like red blood-stained needle and as it, and it whirls through the air, the air that's in front of it starts to compress and form itself around the needle. And uh, it's gonna go at least vaguely in the direction of Idvala, but we'll resolve uh, whether or not that hits in a second. Okay, make an attack roll, Manaya. I am not confident in the 13. I have two points of inspiration. I'm using one. I can also add my flash of genius. In that case, 24. That does hit. So tell me what happens. It, I think, plunges itself maybe right below the shoulder blade in Idvala's, in Idvala's back. And uh, immediately, like as soon as Manaya knows that it's going to hit the mark, maybe when it's like halfway there and Idvala hadn't moved yet, she's gonna break uh, and grab the ring, probably because she's probably faster than Dewey. Maybe hit Dewey just a little bit to get him to start moving and then just book it towards Idvala. Okay, so why don't you have that deal damage first, right? Weapon attacks, normal effects. So it will probably pin. just be like one damage. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like one Not piercing damage. Roll. Yeah, okay, like a single piercing damage. Yeah, as this prick boop, into their shoulder blade. And immediately their body from that point is just boop, covered in compressed air and they are frozen in, um, in place. Okay, yeah, wind whirls around them and they freeze, right? As they're in the middle of like looking bored about Mu Piao telling them about like their tea, right? Uh, and they like like leaves kick up around their feet and like swirl around them. Like they're like a golden, like tousled hair ruffling in the wind. And their eyes are still able to move even though their body isn't. And like one eye, like eyes glide to the left and then to the right and like land on you, Manaya, coming at them with the ring. So at this point, I need everyone to roll initiative. Uh, and I think as that's happening, uh, Oka's, because it costs no action for Brand of Castigation to go. As soon as the damage is done, Oka's blood tether is there. Yeah, could this be like a, a surprise round? Where yes. we can like each take an action? Uh, they they are surprised, or yes. that works. So you already took your action um, mm -hmm. and you're rushing forward with your movement now with the ring. So everyone else gets to go before regular initiative happens. And I'm not far enough away where I do like need to act and surge to dash or something, right? Uh, I don't think so. I think you're probably like 30 feet away. Okay, yeah. 22 on my initiative roll. Whoa, okay, cool. I also got a 22. Whose dex is higher? Uh, I have a 17 dex. Oh, uh, yours then. I got a nat 20 though, so. Ooh, I got a natural 19. I'm gonna use inspiration to reroll this one. Sounds good. I got a 16. Okay. 18. Okay, so next to go will be Oka. Yeah, uh, like a, I think Oka had gotten up and like kicked off the ground as soon as the pin went and they're like already moving. I think they're like dashing like from the ground uh, toward Idvala uh, and the invisibility like sloughs off as soon as they start moving, right? And they see the wind come up and then the blood tether like is there in one hand uh, and the, um, and I am going to use just my bonus action right from that little, like that little, the tiny, the tiniest, tiniest little bit of blood that just like suddenly like surges outward, um, as like the, their own nosebleed, which has been going all morning also like wraps up 
kind of like following the trail of leaves that went up as Oka casts a Blood Curse of Binding, which means that Idvala will have to make a strength save. Against what? Against a 15. Can that potentially be with disadvantage because Booming Blade's in effect? I don't think... I'm not going to allow that because Booming ah, Blade okay, is just okay. a cantrip. I don't want to overpower it, okay. uh, but they okay. do fail. <laughs> but they do fail. Great. That means that their speed is reduced to zero and they cannot use reactions until the end of their next turn. Yep. Yep. And they'll make a save at the end of every turn to try to get out of it as Oka, like, uh, the blood, like, like right up, like, locks into their knees and Oka is, like, holding it on the one side and they, like, skirt out of the way so that Manai can come by with the hoop. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so this blood, like, binds them and tethers them into place, right? Uh, as this, like, wind continues to whip around their body. And their eyes are now, like, wide, right? As they're, like, their arms are, like, pinned to the sides of their body. And next up is going to be Dewey. Um, Dewey is on his way to uh, the spy, but he's going to use his artificial mind. Um, he's going to manifest his artificial mind, um, which shows up as a tiny spectral presence. Um, and... I think as as this needle like approaches the spy, you see like a leaf float down from a tree above them. Uh, but the leaf is like a little bit like translucent and like doesn't look quite natural, organic in nature. And then as soon as it like nears the spy, it just you hear like a loud snap. And it's going to use information overload to overload the thoughts of a creature it can see. Um, and it channels a jumble of information from the artificial mind. So it needs to make an in, uh, intelligence save. Okay, against what? 15. Wow, we're just really ruining the spy's day on like our first turn. They do save, but what were, what would the effects have been? Uh, it takes 1d8 psychic damage and it would have been too distracted to defend itself for the next, until my next turn. Uh, I think it can still take the damage, but I don't know if it'll be like too distracted. I think is how I'll resolve it because it, it 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 was close to making the save, but like it just barely made the save. Uh, so, yeah, why don't you roll damage? It does five damage? <sighs> what does it look like as this like leaf comes down and like jumbles jumbles Idvala? Uh, it just like floats down gently, and then right as it passes next to their ear, yeah, it's just like a really loud noise right next to their ear, and so it takes like five um, sonic damage, and it's like. What the hell was that? And then the leaf just poofs. Is it like that scene in Midsommar with the guy like claps? Oh, sorry. And then like fucks, and like fucks up his day. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's absolutely like that. Yeah, uh, the leaf just poofs, and you all see Edvali go. Ugh. They like close their eyes and they wince, so they like shake their head, right? But they like shake, they shake their their jaw very quickly, and their eyes snap back open with like clarity, right? As their eyes like lock onto you now, Dewey. They see like the origin of this like leaf exploding in their ear. They're able to shrug off the the adverse effects, but they do take damage from that. Uh, is that your turn, Dewey? Dewey is also rushing forward. I think like all of you are like rushing forward, like to get within melee of this of this person. Next up is going to be V, because Manai already went out top turn. Yep, so you're going to see this bush, and you're just going to see V sprinting through it, and it, like, dissipates into a fog, like, just misty dissipation. And uh, as she gets closer, she's seeing all the stuff that what Oka's done, what Manai has done, what Dewey's done. And V's just kind of like, you know what? I think I don't need to do too much, but... I'm going to ready an action. Uh, my hand is going to start sparking electric. 
as I prepare shocking grasp. If this spy so much as twitches wrong, V is gonna grab him with shocking grasp. Okay, your your hand like sparks, right? As you like lunge forward, you get ready to like grab onto this spy. Uh, ready that action is the trigger gonna be like if they so much as look suspicious i'm gonna touch them yeah if they look like they're even trying to do something uh, and it would prevent them from taking any reactions but because oka's already done that i i don't need to do it again so i'm just readying it in case uh, i'm gonna just have the hand like be right next to it so he can hear the buzzing of the electricity between my fingernails okay you rush forward the illusion of of like this topiary falls away and your hand sparks as you lunge forward. And last but not least to go is going to be Rev, who like the raven feathers like ripple down her body. And she's got um she's got her whip in one hand, not grim. Uh, she's going to lash her whip out and it's similar to how she like held down the, the face stealer. It's going to whip around Invala. She's going to pull them down and like ground, like just pull them onto their knees. Right. And like the spikes dig into their body and like cause them to bleed a little bit. And they let out a, uh, as they like fall onto their knees prone. Right. And like Rev like pulls them down. So there's, this is going to be a grapple strength contest. Yeah. They don't, they don't beat Rev uh, as Rev is just like holding, holding onto them. Right. And like Invala is like, uh, 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 like, with electricity crackling their face, with like a booming thunder wind whipping around their body, this blood tether, and now like this thorny whip also <laughs> lassoing them to the ground. We're back up to the top of the order, which is Oka. Uh, I think Oka kind of pauses and they're like, maybe that was a little bit of overkill. Because uh, <laughs> they're right there. I think, again, Dewey and Manaya have the ring, so I think Oka would also ready an action to dash after them to attack uh, to get the tether back. Anything and anything, anything and everything they would need to do in order to keep the spy steady. I think I will, can, if I could hold my turn until after the, the ring happens. You definitely can. You can also talk. Uh, talking is a free action, just as a reminder. Uh, I guess then Oka's maybe like, they like skid to a stop. Hey, pleasure to meet you. Uh, Idvala spits onto the ground at your feet. And V's shocking grass <laughs> comes into effect. Yeah, you, immediately. Yeah. Uh, okay, so make make that attack roll. Uh, can I take a luck point and just re-roll this? Because yeah. my strength is so crap. <laughs> Alright, so the best I did is 13. That is not quite gonna cut it, V. But you do have two inspiration. Let me use one inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> That's a net one. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, so I'll let... Okay, same Devil's Bargain. I'll let you hit if they do get a reaction. Sure, why not? Let's do it. Okay, okay, so roll damage and tell me what it looks like. I'm also going to use a sorcery point to re-roll. I could re-roll up to one, but I'm just going to re-roll one dice here. That's the exact same thing. Uh, so that's only... 10 points of lightning damage. Only? What does it look like? Uh, it's just going to be like straight on right onto the side of their face. And just you just see this electrical current just sort of shoot through their body. And then uh, V removes the hand. And there's like a little uh, handprint of like not seared flesh, but like red. There's like a, you know, first degree burn. 
on their face. Oof. As soon as like their teeth are jittering, right? And as you let go of their face, they look at all of you and they just sort of smile and they say, see you later. And they disappear with a bonus action. With a bonus, it's not technically a reaction. I'm allowing them to act right now because of Devil's Bargain, but it's technically a bonus action. They misty step. Do we get a reaction? You do not because they don't technically move because it's a teleportation spell. Uh, poof, poof. They disappear uh, out of melee and you all see them reappear on the roof uh, about 30 feet away. So their movement speed is technically zero. It would kind of be funny if they poofed and had to get, and was they didn't reappear on the roof if they reappeared right in front of us, just not tethered. Could we maybe, could that be how all of this manifests? I don't think so, um, because uh, like any sort of like teleportation magic does not count as movement. Um, it just counts as like you're relocating to a different spot on the map, right? Uh, so I don't know if like re getting your speed, re they wouldn't be able to move past the roof. They would just have to keep teleporting, right? That's what the speed reduced to zero means, but they're out of melee, out of this sticky situation with all of you in this exact moment. They, poof, they disappear. I think um, the thorny whip that Rev had like, like falls onto the ground, right? And like the, the blood tendrils maybe like dissipate and slough onto the ground as well. And the swirling like wind magic disappears and then reappears on the roof, continuing to swirl, swirl around them. So that is the reaction they take 30 feet away after the shocking grasp. Uh, but it is still technically Oka's turn. I have 35 uh, feet of m m hashtag movement. Um, and I am still maintaining my blood curse of binding and the brand of castigation is active. Uh, just so you know. So Oka is tracking. And I think it's kind of like uh, they're in hunter mode now, right? And there's like a like, like they were kind of there and then they like look up and it's just like boom uh, and they're there and they just like the wing and I'm going to use my, uh, an action to release Oka's good old wings that just come again, like tearing out of their back. And it's like one, two, and then they're like on them again. What are you doing once you're on them? I am going to tangle, I guess to like just tangle myself in with them further. Like with the, with the brand of castigation, uh, as Oka, I think like lands on the roof, like, you know, within melee, they just kind of like land there. They're like, did you really think? You would get away that easy. Uh, and ba boom I guess I really only have, that would be my action and my bonus action that I am going to activate also my blood weapon uh, as the blade comes out of Oka's arm. Okay, yeah, uh, you poof, poof, you take off, right? Like a massive like whirlwind poof, erupts from your wings as you beat yourself up into the air and then you dive them onto the roof you land. Right, uh, and like your brand of castigation continues to swirl bloodily. I think like around your fist and around their body, and they turn, they, they sneer at you, uh, at your quip. And I think that's going to bring us to Dewey's turn. Dewey and I were holding the ring, right? Uh, and they were, he'd like jumped down from his spot on the topiary and was running along the ground. But as this person reappears on the roof, uh, he yanks uh, the ring from Manaya and takes off into the air and he has a new uh, flying speed of 50 feet, uh, which you never get to see because he doesn't fly very much, but 
he's just going at this person with the ring. Now that Oka's okay. like got him tangled up. How are you gonna try to use the ring? Cause that's just movement. That's not an action yet. I guess I have to like cast the spell to activate mm-hmm. the ring. Um, mm-hmm. So as I get up there, I have it in my hands. I cast it and it, the aperture opens up and I just try and like slam it down over their head and shoulders. I think you just do because they can't move. Uh, so yeah, the ring opens up, it glows, the aperture whirs open and you poof. You slam the ring over their body and they vanish from sight, like a magic trick, right? And like, I think you all hear them go, what the hell is the... And like their voice cuts out as soon as the ring like lands over their head and their body and they just, they disappear from existence. And I think that's the end of the initiative turn. I mean, they're frozen. They can't do anything. They're stuck in an extra dimensional space. So I think that's the end of the initiative order. Hell yeah, Dewey ends a fight. Easy peasy. All right. How long does it hold? Well, how long does yours hold? Minaya looks at Oka. If I'm tapping into... I guess the Blood Curse of Binding is technically still active unless they save on it. Um... But can I even feel, like, since they're in an extra-dimensional space, can I feel them either with the Blood Curse of Binding or with my Brand of Castigation? I don't know if you can, because they're technically on a different plane than you. So as soon as, like, the circle goes over... can't cross. Exactly. So, like, as soon as the circle goes down, you, poof, you lose that connection to them in the weave. I don't feel them anymore. Dewey, are, are you sure you, you got them? I think Dewey's like holding the ring to the to the roof, like a little bit afraid to move it. And he just like lifts it up carefully, opens the aperture just a little bit to check. Yeah, and you, you see them like, uh, uh, like, like writhing around. We're good. We got him. We got him. Fuck. I can't believe that worked. <laughs> uh, uh, ow. Ow. Uh, as Oka's wings like kind of like, I think they... Uh, they dissipate and instead of just kind of dissipating like they normally do, like the feathers just kind of like flush, slough off and there's no more wing left. Like no bone or grizzle underneath, but it's just like the feathers just kind of go everywhere. Uh. (laughs) Uh. I feel like Rev. Hey, that's not how... And Rev sort of... Like disappears from the ground level in like a, a whirlwind of feathers and reappears on the roof as she also misty steps. She also misty steps up there. Uh, she's just as cool as you guys. Uh, as she turns, as she turns to like look at all of you and says, "Oka, are you okay? I've never seen your wings do that before." What you leave feathers everywhere? It's it's fine. And Oka kind of like exchanges a sidelong look at Dewey. It's gonna be fine. V dimension doors up there and just like look at these two bushes up here doing all that they do and uh drop seeming off of Manaya so that Manaya turns back into orc half orc self and but then looks at Dewey like not so fortunate can't do anything for you Dewey no these leaves are real oh this is great I'm so glad this worked out high fives all around let's not get our guard down yeah, I think Oka looks down back into the garden at if Mupiao is still there. They are. They're looking up at all of you and they're going, my son will be up and about at any moment. Get out of here. Now. Right. V, where to? 
Me? I don't know this place. Oka, where's a good place to hide these? Aren't we taking them to the second wife? Right. Second wife. Sure. He has a moment of thought about the first wife. Uh, yeah, let's go back to the second wife. Let's go. Uh, and uh, leads the way to the betting parlor. The betting. Oh, my God. The betting parlor of the second queen. I think we can cut there. Right. Like on like maybe Rev going. Hmm, she's like jumping off the roof like the raven feathers like rippling across the screen. Right. And when they wash away. We see the five of you and Dewey holding this ring, I think, maybe like tentatively. Is this sort of like a wheel that you've just got that's like, like closed up? Yeah, I think he's holding it like he's got it under his arm, like um, the way you might run with a football, I think. Oh, my God. Okay, you've got the spy tucked in your extra dimensional pocket underneath your arm uh, as the five of you approach uh, Queen Guo's private betting chamber. Uh, you had to like get past like throngs of people gambling, I think, even like during the day. But like because the guards recognize V, and of course they recognize Prince Hien, they like make way, right? And maybe there's even been like a line of communication open t- to let them know that like the queen is expecting visitors at this time that match your description. So like the sea of people betting, you know, sitting around like mahjong tables, playing like various kinds of card and dice games, part seamlessly to allow passage you move past the first rung of this like wide garden into the middle rung of like a more manicured set of topiaries and then into like the inner rung of like these beautiful like koi fish in these suspended globes of water and then finally finally you reach the antechamber right this holding space with two big like buff looking palatial guards standing in front of queen guo's private bedding chambers the guards nod they grab onto the door, and they hoist it open with a groaning noise of steel against wood. And now all of you see this inner chamber. Four celestial statues of beautiful animals in each corner. And the very center of this chamber, with its high, lofted ceiling, dust particles swirling through the air, and the sunless light filtering through windows above the ceiling, the mahjong table. Seat for four. Sat at the head of the table is Queen Guo, this massive Goliath woman who, even like in this chair, towers, I think, over most of you, right? And like her, she's got these broad shoulders and this like tall, long neck, right? And this like silver hair braided down her back. Uh, and even seated, you can tell that she's probably taller than Manaya if she stood up, right? Standing off to one side, no servants in this room, no like helpers, no officiants, just Queen Guo, and in the corner, Queen Mo, the first wife of the emperor, fan splayed in front of her beautiful, graceful, dragonborn-like face, with its crested scales fanning out from from her neck. She looks over the the, the tip of this fan to gaze at each of you in turn. Queen Gul stands up 
from the Mahjong table and confirms that she is indeed taller than Manaya. This woman of like at least eight feet of height, like sort of just like takes up all the space in here. And all of you feel the weave begin to tighten around you. As Queen Guo speaks, some sort of magic is cast over this chamber, truth-telling magic that compels your throats to open, right? And speak honestly, loosens your tongues. Queen Guo says, ha! Welcome, welcome, welcome! Come on in, shut the door on your way in. Makoya, it's good to see you. Been some time. Podcast editing is by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and explaintrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out explaintrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very very special thank you to our Patreon paragons. Azura, Bradley, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Purple Mouse, Scruffesis, and Target.